Thank you, Don, and choir, musicians, faithfully leading us week after week. We have uh, much to be thankful for, don't we? Amen. Hey, and to that, I, I was thinking this week about uh, just all of the, the answered prayer that, that God has uh, blessed us with. Let's think about David Foley got some good test results. I'll come this week, and Karen Bryant's numbers are doing well. Many people who have cancer of our church are, many of them doing well, and, and uh, healthy babies have been born, and just, uh, just a lot of a lot of blessings uh, for us as a church family. Amen. So much to be thankful for. And I, if I, lest I forget, I hope that you have a good Thanksgiving this, this week or, uh, with your family or loved ones or whatever you're doing and that you, you, you really take a few moments and really give thanks to the Lord for, for all that he's done for you, for what he means to you this week. So before we get into the message this morning, this is Missions Commitment Sunday. We've been uh, kind of building up to this week or to this this Sunday, and so I want to take a couple moments and uh, just share a couple things with you before the message. Um, if you have a mission brochure like that or a mission card, any of you need those? If you do, we've got some young people that kind of help pass those out. If you do, uh, we'll get those to you. But I want to just share a couple things with you before we uh, get into the message. In this brochure, on the second page, it it states the mission for the church. We, as a church, like all gospel-centered churches, exist for God's glory. And our mandate that's been given to us by the Lord Jesus is to, as we live, to make disciples, to try to reach others for Christ, help them to grow in Christ, and all of that uh, for the glory of God, starting right where we are, where we live, and then extending to the nations. And so that's our, our, our mission, our mandate, on page uh, three of that brochure, the goal. And so for the last several weeks, we've been just trying to highlight uh, our local mission partners, and there are five, and they're listed there. Our extended partners, there's three of those, and then inter our international global partners. And there's a couple of those listed. You know, the Milams are with us. Uh, and so we're partnered with them in Portugal for the gospel, for church planning and disciple making, and also with Wales. And so um, that, that's in your brochure. Um, and so you've been asked to do three things. We've been asking you to pray. And if you have a missions card at the end of the service this morning, we're going to, our time, our invitation time, the time of response is going for us to uh, turn these in. So let me just share a couple of things. Uh, we want you to do three things, to be more involved than ever before, missionally. And so there's some areas there you can check where you're interested in serving uh, locally, extended, or globally. And so check those areas. And then to intercede, yes, I want to pray more. And so pray about those mission partners. And if you want any additional information, check that. We'll get that to you. And then finally is the investment portion. And so this morning we're going to be receiving our annual mission offering. And so let me just uh, say a couple of things about that. You can give. Uh, make a one-time mission offering gift. If you do so, use these offerings, uh, check this on your card, and then just place your uh, annual offering inside the envelope. Uh, and I pray that uh, you'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you'll give sacrificially and give generously to the cause of Christ for missions. And uh, so do that. If you uh, would prefer to give 
uh, a little bit each month, check that on that card. So if you would prefer just saying, hey, next year, $50 a month, $100 a month, $200 a month, or $25 a month, and I'll give that through the 12 months of 2022, check that card and then uh, and write that monthly amount there. We're going to collect these, these commitments as well as the one-time gifts, and our offering goal is $120,000. And so I think we're already up to around 30,000. And so we've got 90,000 to go. Also, the last thing I want to share with you is about the mission offering. So where, where is that money going? How is it going to be used? Uh, well, on the page 18 of your mission brochure, it delineates all of that. 50% of this is going to go to the International Mission Board uh, for uh, evangelism, Church planning globally, still half of our world's population, about three billion, are still unreached with the gospel. Many of those have not even heard. And so the biggest chunk for you and I to invest in the kingdom, um, does God need your money? No, but he calls us to give it, and he commands us to give. So 50% will go to international missions uh, there on that brochure, 21%. We'll stay in the U.S. for church planning here. Our North American Mission Board is really trying to pump money into urban centers, urban cities uh, for gospel reproduction, church planning there. And then uh, uh, 12% will stay in the state of Mississippi. And there in this brochure, all of the things that the state is, is doing to, to steward that money. And then finally, 17% of that will stay in uh, here at Hillcrest, we're going to use that in a, what we're calling our mission fund, mission mobilization, uh, to help send people and to uh, mission projects and things. So uh, I hope that you'll give generously. And again, at the end of the service, uh, for our time of response, uh, that's when you can come. And you can, either, you can either come to the front and place it, you know, those commitment cards and your offering envelopes here, or you can drop them in at one of the exits on your way out. Some of you have already done that, uh, so um, I wanted you uh, to just draw your attention to those. And if you have further questions, um, if I haven't explained it very well, just ask someone around you. So what did he say? What did he mean by that? Somebody to help you out if it's not clear, okay? Let's pray together, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to go jump into some scripture uh, about missions. So... Uh, Pray with me this morning as we get started. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear you and that you would lead us. We pray for ourselves and our responses to be faith-filled, responses that honor and glorify you today as we receive the word and as we respond. We do it all in faith for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite you to open with me to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to look at two different places there, Acts uh, chapter 3 to begin with, and then we're going to jump over to Acts 4. And so I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bible open, read it, set it there with you, and then we'll read some more a little bit later. The story, the theme of the Bible is one of salvation. God took initiative entered a broken, sinful, fallen world to restore it to a right relationship unto himself. Therefore, our God is a God of mission. He's a missional God. 
He is always sending. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, he sent, he sent angels, prophets, different ones, individuals, worked with theophanies, different ways God would send message, messages to, to people, to his people. In the New Testament, he certainly, we see God on mission. The ultimate messenger was the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, we see uh, that clear message that Jesus came. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek, Luke 19.10, to, to seek and to save the lost. And he said to his disciples, even as the Father has sent me, even so now I am sending you. So go, as you go, as you live, live on mission, make disciples, baptize them, help them to get church, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them, not just to observe. I like the, the New Testament translations that say, teach them to obey. There's a difference between observing and obeying. Right? So teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And so this morning, related to our mission, there is a theological confession with real relevance to our mission, one worthy of our consideration. And the confession is salvation is in no one else but Jesus. That is a theological Confession, there is no other name by which we must be saved. That's the confession. That is the confession. That's what I want us to consider this morning together. That is a confession. There is salvation in no other name, no other way to the Father but Jesus. That certainly is a confession that is counter to our culture. For our culture proposes that there is a great mountain and sitting at the top of the mountain is God. And if you want to know this God of the mountain and to enjoy a relationship with him and to spend eternity with him on the mountain, then you must pick out a road, a path to get to the top. And the cultural proposition is there are many different roads that will get you there. All religious roads, all moral paths will lead you to the same destination. So the cultural premise is all such paths, all such roads have equal value. And the key is whatever road, whatever path you choose, just stay in your own lane, bro. Stay on your own, on your own road. Be sincere. Try your hardest, be good, do your best, and surely at the end of the line, the scales of eternity will tilt in your favor and you will get to the mountaintop. You'll make it to heaven. Listen, that is not the confession of Christianity. And so the question for us to consider this morning is, what do you believe? Is Jesus the only way to God? Or are there many different paths, all of which are of equal value? And I want to propose this morning from Scripture that however you and I respond to that confession has tremendous missional relevance. And so I invite you to read with me from Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now 
Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Keep your Bible open. We'll read some more scripture in just a few moments. Peter and John are doing what Christ commanded them to do. Go as you live, go make disciples. And start where you are in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Just start where you are and extend outward. That's what they're doing. They are brothers living on mission for Christ. Verses 1 and 2, text begins with Peter and John. They are first, they're ready to share Christ. They had experienced Jesus on a personal basis. John writes in John, 1 John 1, that which we have heard, that which we've seen, that which we've handled, we declare him under you, that which was manifest, revealed to you, talking about Jesus, now we want to make him known to you so that you, your fellowship will also be with us just as it is with the Father. That's, they'd experienced Jesus, they had a relationship with him, they saw the Lord Jesus die on a cross, buried and saw him risen, saved, saved these brothers from their sins, saved them from hell, saved them from eternal separation with God, and now they were ready to live for him. They're on their way to church, on their way to the temple to worship and to pray, the Bible says, and the text says, second, they hear a beggar's request. Hey, brother, can you spare a dollar? This beggar has a tough life. The Bible says he's been in this condition, lame since birth. He has, he has legs, but his legs don't work. And since he can't find work, he's unable to file for government disability. His family and friends carry him to this temple gate, this beautiful gate every day. And there he lays daily and he begs, thinking perhaps at the temple gate, these are nice people who go in to worship. Maybe they'll have compassion and be caring and sensitive and they'll give me a little money. And notice in verse 3 the request, can you help a brother? You have any loose change? Can you, can you give me something? In verses 4 through 6 you find the response. Peter responds back to this request with a message. And that's the response. The response is the message. I want to point out first of all that Peter 
stops. I think that's significant in the text. Peter stops at this request. He, he is open to divine interruptions in his life. Are you? Are you open to divine interruptions or when you start working throughout the day and you have your agenda and you, some of you like me, you might write down everything you're going to do that day and you're just obsessed to get, get it all scratched off, lined out, you know. But his day is interrupted on his way to church and he notices or recognizes there is, is a need and he stops and is open to this, to this brother, open to this interruption. Notice in verse 5, the beggar is expecting to receive something. What is he expecting to receive? He's expecting to receive money. But what he receives is not what he expects. Peter responds, we don't have any money, brother, but we'll share with you what we have. And the beggar heard a strange new message, perhaps a message he had never heard anything like it before. Peter and John are disciples living living to make other disciples, they take time to share the message. And I just want to say this to you. If you and I are going to be effective witnesses, we need to carve out time for connecting with people. We need, we just, we're all the same book. We're all busy, aren't we? Lots of demands pulling for time. And I want to say this to you. The older that you get, the more important time will be to you. And sometimes we just, we just don't, create any margins for time to reach out, to connect, to minister to people. They're living on the go. They take the time. They share the message. Peter and John are, are not content to just show up once a week for temple worship. They're not content to sing a few songs, to hear from the law, pray and go home. They're living with a sense of mission. Disciples looking for opportunities to make disciples. I talked to a lady this week on the phone, and she has to work almost every Sunday. And she shared with me she feels a little discouraged, a little disconnected from the church. It makes sense. And, and so she began to, I listened to her and tried to encourage her on some ways she could live on mission. And you know what she came up with? She said, you know, I thought about starting a Bible, just Bible study on my own at work with some other ladies. My response is, why can't you do that? Do that. Connect. Just, you know, everything we do doesn't have to be programmed through the church. We, we always wanted to come back, bring people into the body. But, and so she said, I think I'm going to try to do that. Peter and John are willing to be interrupted, ready to respond to the gospel. And then notice the message, really, the message that Peter shares with this beggar consists of two parts. In the name of Jesus, that's the first part. The second part is rise up and walk. Two components to that message. I think there is a spiritual component to that message, and then there is a physical component to that message. Do you see it? Living on mission begins with ministering to people, meeting physical needs, is great, doing physical things for other people. Carrying a bag of groceries out for somebody at the grocery store, meeting a physical need. Driving alongside the road, seeing a, a woman or a young lady and stopping to help her change the tire. Helping someone with their yard work. Uh, uh, helping somebody jump their car. 
to prepare food for somebody, just meeting physical needs. There's all kinds of opportunities that we have if we're open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But those physical needs that we minister and the ways we minister to, we never want to neglect the spiritual component because that's the most important. Listen, the best mission projects, the best mission trips, mission efforts involve us engaging with people interacting with people where we can connect relationally for the purpose of sharing Christ. Listen, I've learned this the hard way. True mission trips to be classified as mission trips cannot just be physical trips. Physical trips without the spiritual component of connecting with people and sharing the gospel should be called humanitarian trips. But the church is not called to do humanitarian work. We're called to share the gospel. And I've learned the hard way. We would take groups here and there and spend money and time and go up and paint buildings and do this and blacktop parking lots. And I'd come home, we're all exhausted. And I thought, what eternal value did we accomplish on that humanitarian trip? Church is not called to do nice things, do nice things like that. But you see what I'm saying? The physical has to have a spiritual component. Otherwise, it's just a nice humanitarian trip with no eternal value. It's no different than if you do change a tire and you do something nice for somebody, and then we don't go further and allow the Holy Spirit to say, hey, can I just talk to you about where you go to church, or do you have any relationship with Christ, or can I pray with you? We're, you see that we need to go further, to go further. Living on mission involve us interacting and engaging with people. Meeting physical needs for the purpose of getting to the spiritual, the most important, for the purpose of sharing the gospel, being able to talk about Jesus and pray with people. Notice in verses 7 and 8, Peter and John experience the results. They get to see that this message is authenticated. Peter says to the beggar, hey, give me your hand. And the guy gives him his hand, probably has no clue what's about to occur and Peter takes his hand and the Bible says he gently begins to raise him up and the beggar feels something perhaps that's unusual. Immediately, the Bible says, following this message, as Peter raises him gently, his feet, his bones, maybe he feels some heat. Maybe he feels some nerves begin to tingle, something that he hasn't ever felt before. We don't know exactly what happens, but in verse 7, the Bible says he receives strength. And verse 8, he rises to his feet, leaps up. He stood, walked, and then he leaped with Peter and John. And once the three of them get inside the temple, the message is further authenticated inside the temple because it says he went walking and leaping and praising God. Did you learn that song when you were little? Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He stuck out his palms and asked for alms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the best part, right? He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping, praising God. Did you learn that song? Well, some other Sunday we got time, we'll do it together as a church. That'd be a good, good song for Baptists, especially that leaping and praising God, you know? Just good theological content. I probably learned that when I was four, five, six years old. Taught it to our kids growing up. Peter and John are ready 
They're living on mission. They're saved. They're empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit, living to make Christ known, willing to be interrupted. A man in need asks for help. A nobody. A no-count guy, just cast off. Makes a request, and these brothers respond, and God brings the results. Then verses 9 and 10, Peter and John get to witness even further recognition than that. It says that all the people see this man. And what did they see? First, they saw a great change physically in his life. There was an outward change, wasn't there? A man who was lame from birth. I'm sure that they had all passed day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They see this man who was a beggar now standing and walking and leaping in the temple. There was an outward change in this man's life. And second, not only did they see an outward change, they see a spiritual change. The spiritual change also manifests itself outwardly. The spiritual is he becomes a worshiper. Physically he's changed and spiritually. You remember when Jesus gave that great invitation in John 7? He said, whoever believes on me as the scriptures have said, out of his belly, out of his inner being shall flow rivers of living water. That river is a reverence to the spirit. The spirit of God that dwells with us will start just to flow out, just to emerge out as a river runs and flows. He had met Christ, and he's become a worshiper, praising God, a bit excited, a bit happy. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't think this brother's too worried, too concerned about what other people in the temple think about him. He's not there, please. He's, life's been changed. Christ has changed him. He's full of gratitude. I want to ask you, what do your family members and your coworkers and your classmates see when they look at you? Do they see any change? A changed life? That your salvation, your commitment, your conversion, regeneration, that new birth that you received in Jesus Christ changed you? Outwardly, has there been any changes? Maybe the language that you once used, you don't use as much anymore. It's changing. Maybe your alcohol habits begin to change. Christ is changing you. Drugs, slowly changing. And what about inward changes? Any inward changes in your attitude that you're more kind, that you're more helpful? That there's this inner hunger and thirst for God and you, you, you enjoy opening your Bible and hearing preaching and teaching. You, you enjoy the word and you enjoy reading your Bible on your own. There's, why? Because there's a change. Change. Has your salvation led your life to become new where old things pass away, all things become new. You've put on new clothes, taken, taken off old clothes, put on new gospel clothes. If you read and you study the New Testament, when people are saved, they're converted, they become new. There's, they're different, they're changed. You and I, you and I are no one's judges. We can see things externally and outwardly, but really we don't know what's in people's hearts. But 
I want to tell you something. Somebody who says they've been converted, they've received Christ, and there's no change causes you to wonder, have they ever really been saved? Do they really know Jesus? Have they ever really met him? Especially when you see outward things that are totally contrary to Christ or outward behaviors that are totally contrary, mean and cruel and hard and grumpy and resentful and bitter and angry and just fleshly. You see that kind of stuff. And certainly, we would never see any of that in the church. Peter and John, while on the go, living on mission, were ready, determined to serve as witnesses. The change in the beggar's life caused the message of Christ to be authenticated, and the entire community notices it. There is mutual recognition. First, on the part of the crowd, they recognize that it's because of this message in Jesus' name, and they recognize the power of that. And second, Peter and John recognize that God is continuing to open up more and more doors, new opportunities to share Christ. Because the Bible says in the text, everyone in the temple are filled with awe, wonder, and amazement. How can this be? You know, that, that, that guy over there, isn't that the guy that's always laying at the temple? Oh, what's, what's happened to him? He, that's surely not him. Yeah, I think it is. That's, he looks like the same guy. Well, what happened? I don't know. I heard some talk about Jesus and this message about Jesus of Nazareth. And I thought we got rid of him. I thought he, we, he died on a cross. And, and you, you can just hear it. And people are they're, they're amazed. They're wondering, trying to figure it out. And then in chapter 3, starting in verse 11 through 26, I'm not going to read it. But Peter then recognizes an open door, an opportunity, and he preaches the gospel. And let me just go through it very quickly. Verse 12, he says, don't marvel at us. <laughs> we didn't heal this, brother. Verse 13 and 14, let all praise go to God. Your God, the Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God who sent the Lord Jesus Christ, this holy, sinless one, this just one, this one that you denied and delivered up to death. Verse 15, this prince of life that you killed, that God raised from the dead, the one who is foretold from the scriptures, which Jesus fulfilled. And then in verse 16, this message is in the name of Jesus. This man has been healed, changed in the name of Jesus Christ, verse 19. So all of you need to repent and be converted, and you also need to be changed. And by the way, think about the original question. Do we believe that confession? Paul in Romans 9 says, I have a desire, I have a burden for my own people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And for chapter 10, he says, and my desire is that they would be saved. And for Paul to say, my desire is that Israel will be saved means they're lost. Why else would he be praying that they be saved? And think about this. These are people who know God. They have the law. They're religious. They, but they're lost. And Paul's praying they were saved. Romans chapter 9, he says, if it was possible, I would even be cursed. I would give up my own salvation and spend eternity in hell separated from Christ if they would be saved. And so he calls them to Repentance. And he says, and I love this, I looked this word up, and you will find, that's in verse 19, and you will find refreshment in him. That word refreshment is anasuxis, which is a Greek word to recover your breath. To recover your breath. You remember in Genesis when God forms Adam from the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the nephesh, the breath of life, and he becomes alive. He becomes a, a living soul and enjoys fellowship with God. That's what Peter is saying. You'll find the same kind of refreshment. 
You can receive life. You can have fellowship with God, which they did not have. Finally, I want you to consider the repercussions. This message begins to shake things up. In Revelation, you remember John, who is, writes the Revelation, the vision that God gives to him? You, do you remember why he was on the island of Patmos? Why he was banished? Why he was exiled? It was said because of the word of God and because of the testimony to Christ. He was stirring things up. The religious people, the political people, the powers that be were threatened, and so they got rid of him. Read with me in Acts chapter 4. And we'll wind down here in just a moment. Now, as they spoke to them, this is about the opposition, the resistance. And as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And by the way, let me just pause there. You know why this happened? Because two brothers were willing to meet a need when somebody asked them for help. Isn't that amazing? Keep going. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priests, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we're being judged this day for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known, let it be clear to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by your builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Two repercussions. First four was a good repercussion. Many heard, they heard the gospel, saw this change in this man's life, worshiping, and about 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. By the way, what if he had just physically healed the guy, met a physical need, but never went on to share Christ? None of this would have happened. We need to pray for boldness that the Holy Spirit helps us to be upfront with Jesus Christ in our lives. And it just goes to show what God can do when two men, ordinary men, going about their business that day are ready and determined to live for Christ, living on mission to make Christ known. And it goes to show the power of a worshiping life. This man is worshiping and glorifying God. And Hillcrest, we need to live changed lives. Determined to live on mission, living as worshipers. And then the second repercussion is not so good. There is cultural opposition. There is resistance. There's resistance to the message. There's a resistance to the exclusive nature of the message. The religious, political community didn't receive it. They resisted, and they come upon Peter and John, greatly disturbed 
that they were preaching Christ, that they were teaching Christ, sharing in the name of Christ, seize them, lock them up, throw them into jail the next day, haul them into court for questioning. By what power or by what name are, are you doing this? And verses 10 through 12, let it be clear. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, for there is salvation in no other name but his. Let me close with a couple of questions. Do you personally believe this claim? Do you personally agree with and believe the Bible that Jesus is the only way to the Father? That Jesus is the only way to heaven? John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way to the Father except by me. Do you believe that Christian confession, that salvation alone is in the name of Jesus Christ? You're all smart people. Think with me. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. All. First three chapters of the book of Romans really make one point. They drive it home. All have sinned. There is none righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. Who is the all? The all is all. Every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every nation are all sinners. They've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from God in hell. In other words, all of us left to ourselves are sinners. All of us are dead in our trespasses and sins, completely unable to save ourselves, condemned before a holy, righteous, just God. And so here's the question. Do you know of any other way? Do you know of any other way that a man or a woman's sins can be forgiven? Are you aware of any other place in the Bible that says sins can be atoned for some other way? Except through the person and the work of Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the nations? The three billion that are still lost. I hear this sometimes. Why would we spend money and time and effort to go to the nations on, and share the gospel there when there's lost people here in New Albany and here in New Mississippi? Well, my response is twofold. One is, first of all, Jesus said to do it. And second of all, there are churches on every corner here. New Albany may, there's no unreached people here in New Albany. There's none unreached. They all have access to a Bible, to radio broadcast, to Christian literature. They all have access to churches, but the nations have no access. In their lifetime, they've never had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus, and the church of Jesus Christ is asleep. 150,000 people will die and spend eternity in hell today. What do you believe? I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Hillcrest, there are more lost people alive today than at any other time in human history. More people will die today and enter into an eternal hell than at any other day in human history. Southern Baptists have reduced our mission force by 40% since 2008. Because we don't have the money. The money's there. The money is there. 
The reason is, it's funny. We are not getting the gospel to the nations because our churches are spending all of our money on ourselves. 50% of this mission offering this morning is going to the IMB for the nations. And I pray that you will give and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and invest sacrificially to give to the nations. I hope that you'll be more involved. Ask the Holy Spirit. I want to do something a little, little odd here. Some of you parents may not like this, may upset you and trouble you a little bit, but that's all right. You'll get over it because you, you know I love you and care about your kids. I want to ask every person here that's 16 years of age to the age of 30, would you stand? If you're 16 years old or, or up to the age 30, would you stand together? Would you stay standing for a minute? Because I want to say something to you. Some of you high school students, did you know that in the summer that you could go for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days and serve in the nations your junior year, your senior year, and all it costs you is airfare? And I want to challenge you to think about that instead of working somewhere flipping hamburgers. To invest your life. Some of you, do you know that some of you older young couples, listen, and some of you, you just got to hear my heart. We sent almost 800 Christmas, OCC Christmas boxes last week. And that is a great, easy, that's a low-hanging fruit, easy way to share a witness to the nations. But listen, more than boxes, I'd like to send some of you. Some of you to go, some of you to say, you know what, the nations are lost. I want to leave the American dream and worry about how much money we're going to make and what kind of house we're going to live in and car payments and mortgages and let's invest our life to the nations. And you know what would be for us as a church to send you, to send you directly to the nations and you invest your life for lostness, to push it back, to push back. Some of you parents are going to freak out if your 17, 18-year-old says, I want to go spend 90 days this year in Indonesia, India, you'll get over it. You, you'll get over it. You'll be okay. You all may be seated. Thank you. You hear, do you hear what? That's, that's, the, that's the message. That's the mandate. To go. Not everybody can go. But we can all pray. We can sin. You, you talk, listen, you, you want to talk about something that would bring Hillcrest Baptist church to renewal and revival in life, we start sending out people from this body on mission for God. You watch what God does to the body. Amen. And the money will be there. The money will be there. I'm convinced when that young person here that's grown up at Hillcrest and they go, listen, we're going we're gonna to support them. Amen. The money will be there. And would you, would you pray? Would you intercede? Hillcrest, just, I don't know how you're going to what you're going to do with this message today, I don't know. But my, my prayer is that you'd, you'd listen to God, that you'd listen to Holy Spirit, you'd talk as a couple. Do, do we have any time to really be living missional lives? Are we, what are we doing? How are, how are we stewarding the life that God has given us and the resources? And our, What are we doing as a Sunday school class? What are we doing as a family to advance the gospel? I think he's going to ask us one day. He's going to ask us. What did you do? Did you ever hear that, that saying, uh, most of us will never have a million dollars at once in our lifetime? 
But most of us will have a million dollars pass through our hands in our lifetimes. How are you using it? How are you using that for gospel purposes? Let me pray with you. And our invitation is for you to come and place your cards and place your offerings here. And, uh, and so I invite you to pray with me. And after we pray, you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you as our musicians come. Father, think of that song, give of your best to the master. Give of your best to the master. The time is coming when the day will be spent, when night comes, and we can serve you no longer. But while it's day, we pray we'd be faithful and seize the opportunities, God, that you give us. Would you bring refreshment? Would you breathe fresh life in us today that we would be bold with the gospel, that we'd live it out, worshipers, change lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you use this offering, God? Would you use this offering? Would you use these commitments? And hear our prayers, Lord, to reach others, to make disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You come as God speaks to you.